the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. And as always, I'm joined by Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm good. I'm exhausted, but I can't complain. Uh, I've come to the realization that I don't really like the NFL anymore, as I'm about to watch Utah State versus BYU instead of whatever games on Thursday Night Football. But uh, I'm ready for this. I mean, relatively, it's Rutgers, you know? But I'm ready. It's good. I'm ready to go. Hey, that's my G5 spotlight of the week going out to the mountains. You know, I, I've been seeing Utah State getting hyped up all offseason. Uh, they have not come out to the to the hot start a lot of people predicted. Uh, but I, I think BYU's plagued with a few injuries, especially a receiver. Jared Hall's not Zach Wilson, so it could be a good one. Rivalry games always kind of go that far, so yeah, it should be a good one. Should be a good one. Um, let's get started here. I've got some. I've got some huge news. I'm not breaking anything. Uh, Ohio State broke this news itself, um, but there is an eligibility issue, and it's been fixed. Parker Lewis is now available to play for the Ohio State Buckeyes. The biggest That's news the of the entire USC season. kicker, right? Yeah. Uh, what is he going to do? He's doing Kick. kickoffs, right? Kickoffs, Is he yeah. supposed to take over Honestly, field goals? field goals. Honestly, I mean. I thought they liked the field I mean, goal kicker. We like the field well, goal took, kicker. We asked for him to come back. I like Ruggles. I like Ruggles. Uh, but he did miss like six months doing, I don't even know. I wasn't really, I, no one really asked about it, but. He was out, and then Parker Lewis transferred in, and he was supposed to take on kickoff duties, so he'll probably do that, and then take over field goal kicking next year. But uh, yeah, I, I think that he was has a couple years of eligibility, and he's essentially yeah. redshirted now. If they don't play him. Yeah, that that really was uh, one of the smallest news drops I've ever seen coming out of the Ohio State program. I was just like, <laughs> you know, going through the articles. You know, I was checking out. Uh, 11 Warriors, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, Parker Lewis is eligible. That's cool. So I just wanted to uh, raise some eyebrows. Where did Note Note come from? USC. That's what I thought. So so what is uh, going on with that program? Because aren't they supposed to be this academic like juggernaut and two people come in and they're both academically ineligible? Like, that's a little I don't think it's a grades thing. I think it's like a coursework transferable, like because it's a private school, it's a quarter school. It is not really necessarily the same as a major state institution in the Big Ten where everything is semesterly. I'm pretty sure every Big Ten school is in, in semesters at this point. So I think it's more just how do all the credits transfer? What's a quarter credit? And then um, – I don't know what's the what's the office the compliance office the academic compliance office is just you know bugging out at USC maybe it's an incredibly low funded one but uh, who was the guy Bruce McCoy had transfer eligibility issues as well 
uh, when he left USC. So it really is a common occurrence coming out of USC, which is weird. I'm sure more transfers out of USC have had issues, but I I don't really – I don't know why. Is it a sabotage thing? I don't think USC would have that much vitriol, especially when Clay Hilton was running like a very open ship. Um so, I don't know. I mean, Parker Lewis, eligible. I just wanted to, you know, get some blood pressure risen right away, uh, and then we'll have a relaxing show because it's Rutgers week. Sounds good to me. All right, so I'm not making the same mistake we made against Arkansas State. We gave Toledo a lot of respect. Ohio State scored 77 points. We gave Wisconsin a lot of respect. Ohio State scored 52 points. Uh, we need to give Rutgers' offense a lot more respect than we gave Wisconsin's because I want to see a shutout. So I want Jim Knowles and the crew to listen to this show on Friday, get extra motivated because we're like, man, this Rutgers' offense, really good, even if we're lying through our teeth, which we are. Um, and we're just going to take Rutgers incredibly seriously for at least 10 minutes today. Uh, but let's let's get started here, the Rutgers report. So a quick series history. Uh, Rutgers is 0-8 against the Buckeyes. Uh, first matchup was in 2014 when they joined the Big Ten. Uh, you want to know that you, you want to guess the average margin of victory if you're not looking at the show plane? I've already looked at it, but I probably would have guessed maybe not that high. I probably would have guessed like 38 or something like that, but I knew it was, knew it was up there. I knew it was up there. Yeah, 42 and a half over eight games against a divisional opponent. I, I I just like even like Rutgers was terrible when they joined the Big Ten, like absolutely horrendous. And they had a bad coach then. Then they had Chris Ash, who was very not cut out for that job. And then they finally settled on Greg Schiano. And he's doing his best to get it respectable. But 42 and a half points against someone you see every year is incredible. Yeah, I mean, just why Why even play the game? Why'd you show up? Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like laughing at something one of my friends told me because it was like, he's like an SEC p- apologist. Um, but no, like, we man. all know one. Yeah. Oh my God. 42 and a half. That's just. I love that. I defend the Big Ten. I will always def- defend the Big Ten, um, but I will always ask more of the Big Ten. Whew. I mean, I, we'll be nice. We'll be nice because they're trying to fix it by hiring Greg Schiano. That's and all I'm going to say about that. Because money. They're investing in athletics. <laughs> like, if Rutgers can figure it out in basketball with no basketball history, I think football's got a shot, you know? Like, especially – we talked about this they, in they our basketball outside of their women. Their women are excellent. Is their men's basketball good? Yeah, their men's basketball is not the best in the Big Ten, but they're much better in comparison to their football team. And at home, they are one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So uh, I know they have, like, I'm pretty sure most of their women's sports are highly competitive. Uh, so they caught up with the investment there fast. It's the other sports that are really just – not great. And, you know, New Jersey, we talked about it pre-show, a lot of recruiting talent locally. You know, it's not too far away from a lot of recruiting hotbeds either. 
Uh, it is a tough sell. It's not a school people have heard of. It's not a brand name. Uh, their highest success was winning the Big East in like 2008. So outside of playing in the first football game ever recorded, there isn't much history there to really sell. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's funny. Uh, I came to this like when I was looking at the Winsipedia page, I, I came to this realization that when Kerry Combs gave up, uh, what is it, 25 points and 27 points in back-to-back games against New, against Rutgers. Uh, oh, wait, no, actually – 22, 27, and 13. So he got better the next year. But once he gave up 27 points to Rutgers, uh, we probably should have had a real long conversation about what our defense coordinator was doing. That is the highest point total they've scored. Uh, yeah, he was bad. I don't know. I, I, I actually like Rutgers. I spent uh, a summer at Rutgers. It's an amazing school. I worked there for a summer. Uh, if New Jersey wasn't like a million dollars to live there, I could move to New Jersey. But uh, Rutgers got to do better. Uh, like I said, I think that they're they're kind of trying to do better. Uh, the craziest thing about them is they have really good talent in that state. Like New Jersey is a shockingly good football state, uh, where New York is just not at all. Uh, but yeah, the Kerry Combs thing is crazy because allowing twenty seven to Rutgers makes no sense. Um, I, I don't want to steal your thunder, so I'm gonna lob this to you so you can explain it. But right before the show, you said that. Um, Rutgers has never had an offensive identity since they've been in the Big Ten. So uh, allowing – I think it would be good for you to explain that, but also allowing a team that doesn't have a true offensive identity or a skill player that you could name without, like, either covering the team or being a sicko. Like, I, I'm a sicko, and I – I actually know a couple of people on Rutgers this year, but some of those years I, I couldn't even tell you who their quarterback was. Like, um, there's there's really like nothing of note there. So to to allow twenty seven or anything, I feel like is Rutgers the last team that we that didn't score on us. I know it hasn't been since like eighteen or nineteen, but was that Rutgers? Uh, it I might have been. I, I can't but say with confidence. Team, in yeah, that, if there's but. any team this year that doesn't score on us, it'll be them. Or Iowa. <laughs> yeah. Iowa not scoring would be hilarious. But, um, Absolutely. yeah, I don't know if you want to go into but, that yeah, more I mean, about the offensive identity thing. It, it wasn't really – like, so I was doing the film review or film preview. I always get that mixed up when I talk about them. But I was previewing Rutgers. So I went back to last year just to watch the Ohio State game a little bit against Rutgers. Didn't really have a lot of takeaways outside of, like out, – like, Rutgers run some trick plays. Uh, and then they try to do everything anyone else is doing. It's not really like when you think of Wisconsin, it's a power run game. When you think of Ohio State, it is a vertical passing game and a zone run scheme. Like they, that's a very defined identity. When you look at Michigan, it's a very multiple offense. They like to get under center. They like to do gap scheme runs. They like to get into some zone looks. But you know exactly what you're going to get when you play Michigan. And despite like you know wanting to change it up keep things a little different keep things fresh all the best teams in the country have definitive identities and when you compare the top three teams it's like ohio state georgia and alabama this year ohio state and georgia have identities alabama is still searching for theirs rutgers since they've gotten to the big 10 has had multiple coaches uh they have never really got it figured out offensively 
Uh, their defensive identity is very, very apparent. And that's why I think when I was kind of watching it, it's like they don't really do anything. They kind of do a hodgepodge of things. And it looks like every time they step on a football field, it's so they can try to pull a rabbit out of the hat and make some magic happen. But uh, there's nothing they have that they could fall back on. And I think that's been one of the biggest issues they've had in their eight years. Uh, defensively, I think they're getting it worked out. But I, I just really like you go back and you tell me like one redeeming trait about a Rutgers offense since they've joined the Big Ten, and I will tell you you're probably wrong because they don't have any. Um, Isaiah Besides Pacheco. Points, that's kind of fun. Is he, Isaiah Pacheco. Is he Rutgers or Maryland? I thought he was. Uh, if he's Rutgers, I, that's their only redeeming quality. Yeah, and he, he's in – I know what he went to the NFL, right? Yeah, yeah. he was Rutgers. There we go. He and Aaron was, was kind of dirty, honestly. Yeah, I think I wrote about him last year, that he was a good running back. Um, like si- secretly a good running back, but not yeah, good enough was, for them to win. He was like, and this is just like, because I can't pull anybody else. He was very Curtis Samuel like for them, where he was receiving, he was playing running back out of the backfield. He was just kind of doing a little bit of everything. And I, I respect him. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was a New Jersey kid who went to the New Jersey school and was trying to rebuild, trying to build something there. You have to respect that attitude, especially from the local players. But it was. It's been a rough stretch, to say the least. I think what I have the stat in the show plan, too, uh, they're 12-59 and 59 all-time against the Big Ten. I, I had 12-59 against Ohio State, but 12-59 and 59 all-time against the Big Ten. That that's is rough. That's, that's hard. They're 0-11 against Penn State, 0-8 against Ohio State. Uh, pretty sure they haven't beaten Michigan. I feel like I'd remember that. Maybe I mean, who have they beat at this point? They're beating yeah. them in like Indiana. They probably beaten Michigan State some randomly. I, I doubt it, but like any of the top four that they would have beaten, it would have been them. Most of the I mean 12, 12 wins, eight years. That means there's a good chance all their wins are like Illinois when they were bad, Northwestern in their bad years, and um Indiana. Which is yeah, rough. <laughs> like very rough. Yeah. So this is all time, all games. Uh, they are four nine against Michigan State. Uh, they've been oh all to. This is like this all, is all time. time. So this isn't like okay. since they've been in the Big Ten. Uh, they're zero and eleven against Penn State. They're three and two against Northwestern. That says a lot about Northwestern to me. Uh, three and five against Indiana. Three and five against Illinois. 0-3 oh, against Iowa. Oh, 1-7 against Michigan. What the heck? What am I missing? When did they beat Michigan? Because 1-7 like mean it happened in the eight years. They've yeah, only played I mean, since – they've never played outside of the Big Ten. I, I feel like I remember that. Seven years. Oh, so they won in 2014 in their first year. Uh, 2014. Is that Brady Hoke? Uh, yep. Lost to Kyle yeah. Flood. 26-24 in Piscataway. A Rutgers football classic. You probably find that on Big Ten Network. 
<laughs> probably, honestly, like no joke, you probably can. But man, that's crazy. I, I feel like I'd remember that. I, I I mean, that's good for Michigan that I didn't remember that. Or, but I feel like that's going to come up every week for the rest of my life now. Just knowing that information. I, I know when we were saying, it's like, man, have they ever lost to these guys? Have they ever lost to these guys? And we pulled it up and we're like, man, they lost it. They beat them? So that's one thing Ohio State will always have on them. Yeah. So Couldn't be us. Uh, what, what else do we have? All right. So I, I've got this. This is a matchup nightmare uh, for Rutgers. Like, And obviously we get into the talent. Uh, Rutgers – is surprisingly, I, I didn't write it down, but they were routinely in the middle of the pack since Greg Giano got here from a recruiting standpoint, anywhere from like 6 to 12. So they are doing better. They are trying to close out teams from getting into New Jersey. They're trying to get into the Philadelphia area. So they're, the, the effort by Shiano is there, and they've worked the transfer portal. They've done a good job of trying to build a recruiting base and also attacking in the portal so uh it, it's so from a talent standpoint we know where Ohio State is we know Rutgers is generally in the middle of the pack to the bottom uh that alone kind of makes it a matchup nightmare before we even get into styles you know when you're coming into a game behind the eight ball behind the curve it's it's not a great place to be already yeah, um, which is why, like, going back to your point about the offense, like, and for, like, national media people and other people who always say, like, certain teams should want to run the triple or you should do something unique, when you're behind the eight ball, like, and I guess the, I guess I will give them credit, I guess they are trying with the trick plays. Like, that is something that they're doing to try to equalize uh, the game. And they got a couple of trick plays on uh, Kerry Coombs, um, which is how they got that 27. But um, most of the time, in general, if they score a touchdown, it's a trick play. Yeah, but like in general, you need to be doing something to try to bridge the gap. And I understand football is not basketball, where like sometimes the gap is just un. Uh, it's impossible to build a bridge over, but like uh, you can try. Yeah, it, in all, in all, and like. All respect to Rutgers. It's it's one of the biggest uphill battles in sports, and it takes like like we 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 joke about being sickos because we'll watch like a ten thirty West Coast game on Saturday night, or like we'll watch a Friday night like uh, Sun Belt game with like no ramifications to our lives at all. But the realest sickos, Greg Schiano, for voluntarily stepping up to the plate, like after having like a pretty good career as a coach and being like, you know what, I'm gonna fix Rutgers again. <laughs> yeah, for me personally, I'd have been like, hey, I'm the only person that's ever won at Rutgers. Like, cause sometimes the last thing that happens is your memory. And if he gets fired there, like, <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like he, he's a I'm pretty sure he's a New Jersey guy. He, he, is. he, he loves Rutgers. They gave him. His big start, it got him to the NFL. I think he feels like he owes it to him. Uh, me personally, I'd take that more Barry Alvarez type role if I was Greg Ciano, cash like a six figure check to be like a special advisor, you know, then become the athletic director, probably just out of like symbolism. But it, it's it, it was a bold, it was a bold strategy. Uh, and for respect of because I'm taking them seriously this week. 
uh, they are trying really, really hard. And they are, they're improving. Like, they are in games competitive. They won an out-of-conference matchup against Boston College. And I'm not sure how good Boston College is going to be this year, but that is a huge step forward. That's not a game they win most years. That's usually the games they lose. So, I I just think you got to give them credit for improving. It's just the way you have to look at it is, hey, how would – Illinois do if they were in the Big Ten East? How would Northwestern do if they were in the Big Ten East every single year? And then you're already basically most years guaranteeing yourself four losses. Indiana and Maryland are usually going to be tightly contested games. So if you just can't even win a game in your division, it's really hard to climb. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, and that's like I said it before on uh, my other podcast that I think in most years, you know, Rutgers is a six and six team every year um, when they get rid of divisions. Obviously, some years obviously it depends a little bit on their um, it depends a little bit on who their con- who their consistent opponents are. Uh, it depends a little bit just on the year. But in most years, I think they're six and six if they get to feast on some of these bottom of the West teams um, where they're not constantly playing Ohio State, Michigan State and Michigan and yeah, Penn State. Like, uh, like you said, that's four losses right there. Even just dodging two of those four teams once every two years would be a huge step forward, you know? Yeah. Like, can you imagine having Penn State, Indiana, Wisconsin, and I don't know, Minnesota is your four toughest games instead of Ohio State, uh, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State. And then, like, we talk about a lot. Maryland would probably be competing for the Big Ten West this year if they weren't in the East. And that's with Mike Loxley. Mike Lock, wow, that was bad. Mike Loxley is their coach. That's how talented that yeah. roster is. So you put Rutgers, which is similarly built from like a talent standpoint into the West, it changes everything. So I, I think mean, it would I, I don't know that I'm predicting it, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if Maryland beats Minnesota this year. Or this week. Yeah. Is that this week? Is that uh, on Saturday? I I I'm blanking, man. I I think that's on Saturday. There's only seven on, big tank games this week, but yeah, be on be on upset alert. I think. Oh, I have the schedule right pulled up. Maryland is playing Michigan that's, State. That's what it is. Ah, still be on upset alert. But I wouldn't be surprised if Maryland beat Minnesota this year. I don't know if they actually play now. I'm not. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. they they showed it against Michigan that they are a talented team. They're a tough football team, and you know there are a couple of bad decisions and terrible coaching calls away from winning that game. Yeah. Uh, so matchup nightmare uh, continued. So Rutgers blitzes 42% of the time. And that, like, I, I think we already talked. I don't know if I said this on the show, but pre-show we definitely talked about it. Like, that is bad for teams playing Ohio State. Greg Schiano and his defensive coordinator love to blitz. Like, it is their equalizer. It is how they get teams off balance. It creates issues for teams in the run game from a count standpoint. In zone blocking teams, it creates issues for teams in the passing game with the quarterback timing, especially when the blitz gets home. But, man, blitzing 42.9% of the time. Uh, let me I, – did I put it in there, the people who said that? I'm pretty sure is from uh, – 
I don't know. We use them a lot in the chat. Uh, someone posted in our Slack chat. Uh, but 42.5% of the time, they blitz. Uh, anytime you see highest rated quarterbacks in the Power 5 against the blitz, CJ Stroud's on the list for pro football focus. Me and Jordan have had our conversations about pro football focus on the show. But having a 90 grade against the blitz and being CJ Stroud and having those receivers and the way the offensive line's playing, this is just a horrible formula for Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm gonna if they uh, if they come out and blitz 42 percent of the time, I'm predicting four plays of 50 yards or more. Yeah, it's one four of those touchdowns of 50 yards or more because he's just like you're gonna blitz. He's just gonna leak out a mecca. A mecca is gonna run for two touchdowns. Uh, he's gonna they're gonna block the blitz and have one on one coverage. They're gonna throw a deep bomb to Marv um, to to Marv, and then Travion Henderson is finally going to get freaky in open field, as Jalen Hurts would say, make the only safety left miss and run for. Book it. If they blitz that much, four plays, four touchdowns of 50 yards. Book it. You heard it here first. I'm standing on it. I'm not putting no money on it because there's literally no way to bet that, even if you wanted to. But book it. Uh, you could probably find a way to bet that uh, from experience. But there – so I, I, I made – I've been making some YouTube videos trying to get some more content out there for you guys. One of my – my bold prediction for the whole week was – CJ Stroud's going to throw over 400 yards and five touchdowns in the first half. Mm. And, and I, and it's because of what you said. It's not like it's going it, to, it's maybe 400 was a lot. It's for sure going to be 305 touchdowns. But 400 was the number I found because last year, CJ Stroud got pretty close in three quarters. And I don't think CJ wants to play in the second half this week. And I think he threw an interception last week. So you're going to get. Mad and motivated CJ Stroud. And that that we're talking about more bad signs for this matchup for Rutgers, but I I just think this is gonna be a game where Ohio State really gets to make those big plays we got used to seeing from Chris Olave, we got used to seeing from Garrett Wilson. And you know, if Ohio State leans on the balance like they have been, you know, maybe that stat doesn't happen, but I'd much rather have an effective game that way. But I'm trying to get CJ a Heisman here. So as um, a campaigner, uh, you know, I, I need this first half performance. We need electricity in the building. So I, I, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. You took me there. I think when you're going to blitz – and honestly, if they drop back and they drop eight, that's just going away from what they do well. So that's even worse for them. Yeah, I mean, then like they're just going to run the ball. At least, and that's the one thing I'll respect about Greg Schiano. He's one, and we have something later in news and notes, but he's going to take a punch this week. He's going to throw a punch back, and he said he's coming in here to win. So put that into your bulletin board, Ohio State. Uh, last thing on Rutgers report before we get into what Ohio State can gain from this game. Uh, Rutgers has given up 48 points against FC FBS opponents, which includes Iowa Temple and Boston College. So uh, to get into something a little bit more respectful than their offense, 
they have given up 48 points. That is not a terrible number given how they have been historically. But I'm looking at Iowa. I'm looking at Temple. I'm looking at, at – uh, God, I already forgot the other team. Uh, uh, Boston College. Boston College. Yep, there it is. It's three uh, teams without an offense. <laughs> like, yeah. So this is really going to be – and then they played Wagner. So a small school up in New York. So that is – that one doesn't count. Um, so this is going to be the first real offense they play. So – I really do think this is going to be a good marker for them and see how far they've come. But also, Iowa is not Ohio State. Spencer Petras is not C.J. Stroud. Uh, They're just not nearly as dynamic. And dynamic offenses have had their way with Rutgers in recent memory. So... Yeah, and that's like regular dynamic offenses. Like Michigan's probably going to put up um, 45 to 50 on them. But Ohio State is not a regular dynamic offense. I mean, like we're going to forget it. Like people are going to act like it hasn't existed. But Wisconsin's defense had seven interception and four, three games, three games leading up to the Ohio State game, because that was game four. They had allowed very little points um, there, like in the last like 10 or so years. I don't remember what, what the number was that they said in the game. They were the they had given up the, le- the third least fewest points. The only one to give up less was Georgia and uh, Clemson. Um, Wisconsin has a very good defense. Very good defense. Yeah. Their defensive coordinator was contacted to be either the head coach or the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, uh, and he turned that down. Like, everyone's calling for him. Like, so I, I want people to remember that this is not just a good offense. This offense eviscerated a very good defense and a defense that is not going to start giving up 30, 40 points after this game. Like, they're going to go back to giving up 17. It may be in losses because I have them losing to Illinois and they may lose 17, 14, but it's not going to be what we just did. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like the difference between what Rutgers does. So Wisconsin, Jim Leonard, he's always like, oh, you know, if Jim Leonard's interested in taking a head coaching job, this might be a good fit. He's always that guy. Like you don't hear that about Rutgers' defensive coordinator. You don't. Um, And it's because Greg Schiano is probably – so I I figured that one out myself. But uh, they blitz a lot. And Wisconsin is a very balanced defense with bringing pressure from the second level with their coverages. They mix it up. Uh, Rutgers is going to do exactly what it does. And they will not bend or break. They will just shoot and hope that they hit. And if not, they will get exposed. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, for Andrew them, Peters, this is throwing lawn darts out there. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately for them, this is probably going to be another one of those games where we go eight straight drives with the touchdown. Yeah, and I am okay with that. Yeah, that's why I said for them. <laughs> for us, yeah. I'm with it. Give, give C.J. Stroud his customary one drive in the third quarter and then let him sit down. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm watching this Dolphins offense, and like I, I just can't. This is what it's going to look like against Rutgers, just – Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill is pretty much Emeka Ibuka, Marvin Harrison Jr. right now. So, 
Uh, it's just I don't even, even have it on. I just watched BYU take a pick six back on Utah, Utah State. Yeah, so it is. It is something, uh, but. Their, their defense this, is so. This is like a question. I, I so Wisconsin does their stuff, right? Um, Rutgers does their stuff. I think they're two good defenses. Like I still think it's a legitimate test for Ohio State, and they could make mistakes if the blitz does get home. So I think, you know, against Wisconsin, I think it was a test for Stroud and the receivers. I think this week it could be legitimately, legitimately taken as a test for the offensive line, just from a discipline standpoint. You said a test. You kind of broke up a test for the offense, defensive line. The offensive line. Oh. So last week, Wisconsin was probably more of a test for the receivers and CJ Stroud, uh, and then this week, I feel like the offensive line with the blitzes and pass protection. This could be a really good, quick test for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as far as just like mano y mano, Wisconsin was much better because they had Nick Herbog and they have uh, Keanu Benton. But as far as discipline and communication and all that kind of stuff, it's definitely going to be a big test because that's another area that they have um, struggled in. And that a lot of teams struggle in, which is why Jim Knowles does it, all the stunts and stuff, is picking up blitzes. And uh, Paris Johnson Jr. has been amazing so far. He's unfortunately absolutely going to be a first-round pick this year, maybe the first tackle taken. He's been playing that well. Um, and he's going to get a couple other chances against some studs to kind of prove himself. Um, Donovan Jackson looks like a first-round pick at guard next year. So if they're really what they have been, that I mean, they're just going to shut it down. But I, I definitely agree that not necessarily talent, skill, or toughness-wise, but just from a communication and, you know, um, technique-wise, this is probably going to be a decent um, uh, a decent challenge because, I mean, blitz pickup is never easy. Yeah, and I think that's where I think Greg Shiano's philosophy lies. Is like, we're going to make you uncomfortable. How you handle that is how this game is going to go. And Ohio State's handled it incredibly well in their time. So uh, not to bury this conversation into the weeds and just kind of, you know, come to an end with it. Uh, what Like one, one thing Ohio State can gain from this game, I think that's something fans coming into this like, oh, it's Rutgers. Every year it's the same thing. We beat them down. Like if this was a real matchup, I would not be going to a wedding on Saturday. Uh, that's how much commitment there is to this game from Ohio State fans. So for the team itself, what can they gain from this that could keep fans interested, being like, hey, okay, that's what they said. That's what they learned. That's good for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is a tough game to talk about. We said we were going to take him serious, but this is a tough game to talk about. Yeah, I mean, outside like, – so my number one one is obviously hopefully being able to see young players early. Uh, because the earlier they get into the game, the more likely they are to run the real offense. Like if they get in yes. like two minutes ago in the third quarter, it's going to be a handoff session. But Yeah, especially because uh, Ryan Day for some reason doesn't like Kyle McCord throw the ball. Yeah. And, you know, I actually heard something interesting. A lot of, like, coaches don't like to let their backup throw the ball because they're eventually going to be the starter if everything works out correctly. 
and they just don't want opponents to have any information on them when they come in. That's weird. I think that's one of those things where like coaches are like overthinking themselves. Yeah, um, no, that's what I thought too. But I, I, I unless mean, the office is going to be totally different. Like mm-hmm. unless you're like, like okay, this was a bad example because they shouldn't have done it like this. But like with Penn State with Will Levis when they changed the offense and ran the quarterback a lot more, which again bad decision because he could throw the ball. Like if that's the case, you're like we don't want them to see that he has wheels and that we're pro- like with him we're probably going to run the ball more, but any quarterback at Ohio State is going to run Ryan Day's offense, so all you're going to see is, oh, he can throw, you know, the freaking out route from across the field. He has good arm strength, or he can do this, or he can do that. I think that's one of those things, like, that's one of those things like uh, not releasing the death chart or something like that, where I think coaches are overthinking themselves. Yeah, and, you know, it's crazy. I So I don't get the depth chart uh, thing at all. I mean, you, you know, you watch film, you make your own depth chart. It's quick. Like the only person you're hurting there is the fans who want to get to know your team. Basically. Uh, Basically. But I really don't have anything else to say against Rutgers. I think the other thing you could gain from this game is just if Ohio State comes out, plays clean, is focused, you could really take that and be like, hey, man, they took Rutgers seriously. They took – Everyone serious. The only team it has, it's felt like they haven't taken seriously is Arkansas State. Yeah. And um, to be honest, like, I can't blame them. You know, I, I know if I was an Ohio State player and we just beat Notre Dame and I had to wake up at six in the morning on Saturday to play a school I didn't even know existed until it ended up on the Ohio State schedule, I would be pretty unfocused too. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I think, like, I th- something that we talked about with Toledo, too, is, like, Toledo's an Ohio school. And granted, I mean, they put up a million points against them, so maybe they didn't actually respect them. But they tried to respect them. We couldn't help it that the walk-on wanted a touchdown, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, for sure. I think you kind of just respect in-state opponents a little bit more. And, you know, when you have these supposed big games coming up and things like that, you're probably not spending too much time with your GAs, you know what I mean? Like, time to break down all the Arkansas State film. Like, you know, you probably get a couple of games and everything changes with them because like we talked about with that one a bunch of transfers and stuff so yeah um but they'll 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 respect records and put up a million points and call it a day yeah so it's gonna be it's gonna be a show for fans uh this is definitely the game if you're going to take your kids to it, it's a 3.30 game. You don't have to wake up too early. You could drive same day. You could drive it after the game home. And it's all it's actually a pretty reasonable day. You'll probably be able to leave at the end of the third quarter. And everyone has a good time. So these games exist. Oh, I mean, I don't know how I haven't mentioned this as a former Buckeye. Uh, it is homecoming. So there's that added aspect to it, too. And I, I think everyone knows this. Everyone who's followed football, everyone who's been to high school or – college knows you put homecoming against an opponent you know you can beat so it could be a ceremonious day and that's why Rutgers usually ends up being homecoming your uh 
your wedding is not only a fall what not your wedding but like the wedding you're going to is not only a fall wedding it's on osu's homecoming yeah you're yeah, i mean you're preaching to the choir here i, I personally i think that is offensive <laughs> like your and, love you think your love is more valuable than osu homecoming that's that is an interesting stance yeah. man but yeah, I mean it's homecoming weekend. You got yours, Kent State, homecoming, Ohio. That's that's bad for Ohio if they're the homecoming game. Yeah, I mean, but they're I not mean, good. If you, if you want to talk about something, we can talk about something. We're bringing Thunder. We're bringing Thunder and Lightning yeah, to that one. Thirty points. Let's take we're about thirty. Yeah, let's get it. Let's see. we'll use that to get into like the, we'll give five minutes to Kent State for for the host for his homecoming. He's not going to be in attendance. He's got to hold down the fort on the instant recap so I can go celebrate matrimony that's uh, happening at a very inopportune time for us. Uh, so Kent State, let's see. Let's uh, let's give him a moment to shine here. I'm sure there's quite a few Kent State graduates who are Ohio State fans who find their way to this show. So let's 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 hear what the flashes are bringing to the table, and what makes. So this is something from the outside. Like it feels like Kent State's homecoming goes pretty crazy. Yes. Uh, like I hate to be that guy because obviously it wasn't me personally, but my class. So like the my class. So like 2018 graduates and 2017 graduates really like changed Kent. And I don't know why. Like homecoming was never really a big thing. And then like we just like really just started like putting effort into it. And then the school started putting more effort into it. And then the football team got good, which brought more effort. And it's been a domino effect. We are not the reason the football team is good. But as far as just like things happening in Kent, like Kent, my freshman and sophomore year is not the same Kent that happened my junior and senior year um, when people started getting in like SGA and doing certain things. And so the last few years, Kent's homecoming has been really good. It's been really interesting. Um, I can't say that they're like, I mean, nobody really goes to the official homecoming things. I can't say from the school's perspective, um, it's great. But like, if you know people and, and the thing is that people don't realize, like, Kent is not OU. I will tell you that for sure. But Kent's Halloween goes crazy, too. It is definitely one of the better Halloweens in the state. So Kent, it, it's not. I don't know. I think it's underrated in a lot of aspects with like parties and events and things like that. Um, but yeah, the homecoming is really fun. Um, the tailgate's crazy. There's people all over the place for the tailgate. Um, there. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're like, again, if you're an Ohio state fan or something like that, which we all are, it'll never compare to that. Like you're going to go to the tailgate and you're going to be like, this is ha- This is like, a fifth, like this is like a small corner of the Ohio State tailgate, but it is very fun. Um, and I imagine because it is more student focused than adult focused, I personally think people are nicer and you're more likely to get some things out of it because you're not dealing with someone's like grandpa who's been tailgating. Like you're dealing with like 19 and 20 year olds who are just there for a good time and there's good music and stuff like that. So I'm a fan. Uh, I'm not going this year because I have some other things going on. Um, and then obviously I'm holding down the fort and stuff like that. But yeah, Kent's homecoming is fun. And Kent is fun. Kent's football is fun. Um, 
between the new coach and the new athletic director and things like that, they're starting to put, I mean, like, if you have one of the worst stadiums in America, the least you could do is have cool uniforms. You know what I mean? Like, the least you could do is invest in a social media team. And so they're finally starting to do that. Like, I mean, even our equipment staff has a social media team and nobody cares about that but they're finally doing cool videos cool graphics cool social medias they have cool uniforms a lot of things to try to make up for the fact that we have one of the worst stadiums in the country um and there's a lot of disadvantages to camp but yeah i mean until someone decides to hire away Sean Lewis, we have one of the most explosive offenses in the country, and we put up twenty two against Georgia. I like, like I say, like I will say that forever. Yeah, we put up against Georgia. Nobody else is doing that. Um, we we were a couple close to two million dollars to put up twenty two points on Georgia. Yeah. Uh, we were we were a couple of not saying that we would have converted because you don't know, but we were a couple of uh, cowardly field goals away from it being a one score game because one of those field goals was on like a fourth and three at like the twenty something. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I left the Toledo Ohio State game thinking there's absolutely no way Kent State beats Toledo. Now I'm not sure because if you can put 22 up against Georgia, you can put 100 up against anybody else. But if you want to watch a good G5 game, whenever that Kent State Toledo game is, that is absolutely must watch. If it's not like an Ohio State Penn State or something like that, that game's probably going on my main TV, no matter what's going on. That game's going to be crazy because the offenses are just going to score a bunch of points. I guess Toledo's defense is better than Kent, so maybe they win that way, but like, offense is going to put up a million points on uh, both of them. Yeah, so. I mean, I, yeah, it's fun. You got Taquan Finn versus Sean Lewis's offense. It's going to be, well, not to the Golden Flashes, it's going to be an electric factory, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it is. But this this one is not. This is going to be an electric factory, one sided. Kent State's putting up sixty, maybe not sixty, yeah. but they're, they're not winning by thirty. They're winning by thirty. Um, very exciting. It's on ESPN Plus. Uh, pretty sure I that was your G five spotlight. I think it's on at three thirty p.m. Yeah, yep. I think it's absolutely crazy that no one has hired Sean Lewis. Which is, this is actually an off-season com- conversation that we should have. Uh, why, if we remember, why the, why are G five coaches not being hired anymore? Like I was, someone else yeah. on a different podcast I listened to was talking about it, and it's just not the thing anymore. They're not hiring G five coaches. They want you to have coordinator or something. They want you to be in the Big Ten, SEC, something like that. They want you to have coordinator experience um, to the point where some of these G5 coaches are honestly better. Like, Sean Lewis would be better off being Alabama's offensive coordinator. He'd make more money, too. But, like, when they finally fire uh, uh, who did, who was Bill, O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, like, he should leave his head coaching job and go be Alabama's offensive coordinator. He would get a head coaching job in a year or two. So, Good. That's an interesting offseason conversation if we ever remember it. But yeah, he's stuck at Kent because nobody hires G five coaches anymore, and he's making yeah. our offense great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, hey, John Lewis, the Golden Flashes, big weekend for them. Uh, that'll be, it'll be fun. It, it's just I've been hearing a lot about Kent State homecoming. So uh, that is that. We're gonna go to a break, and then we're gonna have a college football playoff conversation. Yes, yeah, we don't do that much here, but. We're going to get into it. We'll see you guys after the ads. Welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. 
And as always, I'm joined by Jordan Williams Fresh after the break. Jordan, we got into your album, Modern. I think it's time to get back to business here. This is an Ohio State podcast. Uh, so that means we're back talking about the college football playoff. And another offseason conversation we should add is the levels, like what your conference should strive to be. That would be a fun one. We just do a pyramid of all the conference, and that should tell everyone how excited, like what's an exciting season for that conference. Yeah, um, I agree. But- I, before we get into the playoffs, I do have an Ohio State topic to get into. Court Williams. We can spend two minutes on this. I just looked it up. I had to because we talked about it and the our Slack chat. And I don't know. Not that people were making me feel like I was crazy, but like, you know, people were making me feel like I was very anti-court. And I'm like, there's a reason he's not playing. We beat Wisconsin by a million. Guess how many snaps he played? What, like 16? No. <laughs> he played nine. Oh, yeah. So uh, he was also in the game win. What's his face? Uh, Jalen Allen played, broke off a 70 yard touchdown. Probably, so, yeah. I played just as many snaps as Sonny Styles. Cam Martinez I, only played three, and that's something I need to look into because I don't know if he was hurt or like if, like, I. Nah, like, Tanner was just in his bag. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's fine. Tanner was in his bag. Um, and Tanner, uh, played, but, Tanner actually played the most snaps at safety, so that makes sense. But yeah, Court Williams, despite being a captain and all this other kind of stuff, he's played yeah, nine on, snaps. On Court Williams, it's just I don't I don't think he's a bad football player. I don't think he's bad. I, I just think he's played thirty six snaps all year. There are guys who are just better, like Lathan Ransom coming back and being healthy, put him behind him. Josh Proctor is as big as him and much more athletic than him. You know, Ronnie Hickman's been doing a lot of the in the box stuff as the adjuster, uh, you know, coming down as a stacked backer, doing that type of work. Uh, and if those three guys, like Tanner, I mean, he was never going to be a nickel, so you got two positions and three guys playing them at such an incredibly high level that I really just think it's a matter of, and Sonny Styles, you know, that one, it, it we, I kind of, I called him LeBron James. So I, I'm going to take, I'm going to take some, a minor victory lap here. I saw that one coming. He was going to, he was going to play, uh, but I don't think it's because he's bad. I think he'll be – I think this is kind of going to be a decision point for him. Uh, he'll probably go and play somewhere else and be a very good football player. But it, it's just really – it just didn't work out for him in the roster management area. Um, I kind of disagree with Unless that. Unless he switches to linebacker, which will yeah, have some openings next year. I kind of disagree with that, but I'm not going to go in-depth on it because I don't want to disparage a player. I just think it's important to realize that players younger than him or in the same class are playing and he's not. And I think that says yeah. – I, mean, I don't think it's just the roster management. I think that kind of says stuff. But I don't yeah, know. I, I didn't bring this up to talk bad on him. Like, as with all – I mean, I hope he becomes Craig Young. I hope he – transfers to, you know, Kent State, which I always say, but transfer somewhere, starts, has a good career. Craig Young is balling. Dallas Gantz balling. Like, not everyone leaves on bad terms. I just think it's interesting because we kept talking about it with him specifically this summer. When you listen to what they said, it was not really glowing. It was, it except- was, all, it was the... 
tough Borland talk, and we don't have room for that yeah. anymore. And the one thing that I will never forget of all the things that he said is Jim Knowles said, it's on me to put him in spots where he can succeed. And that was like, oh, he's not like, like he he's very limited is what I hear from that. Because like outside of just in general, yeah. that's the coach. It, it was very much like we need to find a position for him. We need to find something that he can do well because he's not doing what he's doing currently well. And I think that, I mean, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's sad. It's kind of what happens at the Ohio State machine and not everyone makes it, but it's kind of sad in the instance of like, people love him so much. Like they didn't make him a captain for no reason. He's just not Mm -hmm. good enough, but you know, uh, yeah, it's definitely get the Ohio State degree so we can claim it forever Tommy and, and then go play somewhere else. You got Tommy and Steele who are crazy good, obviously. You've got four safeties who are playing at an incredibly elite level. It's just that that's like you said, the Ohio State machine sometimes just what opportunity passes you by, not because of anything in your own fault. It's more just, man, these guys are good at football too. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to bring it up because once this is over, I'm going to put that in our chat and let them know that I think it's over for the Uh, fandom of Court Williams. But, yeah, we can get back to the playoffs. All right, a playoff conversation with Buck Off Podcast. Picture yourself. Picture me and Jordan, those uh, nice cooler suits sitting next to a fireplace taking you through the college football. That's kind of the vibe I was going for here with a playoff conversation. You know, uh, TV shows make fun of them, but I, I never, ever, really, ever actually saw that as a real concept on television. I just like there'd always be those jokes on TV shows of some dude sitting next to a fire saying something in a really deep voice. And I've never actually seen a show where they do that. Like, seriously. Yeah, I think that's before our time. Yeah, that's, I mean, I chalk up anything I really don't know is before my time, so I, that's that's a fair way to go with it. I think that All was right, actually so gonna, before our time, but like, yeah, no, nah, yeah. I definitely understand that. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's a before my time. Uh, that's why I don't understand it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I've got a few bullet points here. Nothing crazy. I don't think we need to spend too long. I know, like some people love the national football conversation. Some people hate it. They just want to hear about the Buckeyes. But I think. With Rutgers week being here and with a lot of data points on everybody else, I think it's it's a good point to start with this. Uh, to me, I think the Big 12 is already out. That's where I want to start. Uh, is that a good place to start with you? Do you agree with me? Um, I agree because they don't have – I mean, they obviously still have Oklahoma as a team, but they don't have an Oklahoma like under Lincoln Riley who could avoid the slaughter where every other team would just beat up on each other. And I think they have multiple good teams, um, and I think that every team is going to is gonna leave with two losses. Because Oklahoma's already lost, right? They just lost? Yeah, they just did to Kansas and Texas, State. And, and Texas lost to Texas Tech, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, Oregon, what are no teams Oregon, in the conference right now? Oregon State and Baylor play this week. Someone's obviously got to. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Oklahoma State and Baylor play this week. Someone's got to lose that. Yeah, they're out. Everyone's going to have at least two losses. Yeah, so the undefeated teams currently, I'm going to go through them. And I'm not like in conference play, not undefeated on the season. You've got Kansas, you've got Baylor, Kansas State, Texas Tech. Oklahoma State doesn't have a win or loss, and TCU doesn't have a win or loss. 
Do you see any of those six teams going undefeated? In conference play? Yeah, in conference play. No. I mean, Oklahoma almost never goes undefeated in conference play when they were at the height. So, no, I don't think any of them do. I think they all get at least one loss. Yeah, I I was listening to the Audible with Stu and Bruce and – they were legitimately debating if this team, if this conference could get everybody bowl eligible. And I think the worst team right now is West Virginia. And it's really not because they're the worst team. It's just mostly because they had a really tough opening schedule and they're two and two. They're down there with Texas, but there's not a bad team in this conference. Like if you ranked them, I'd probably rank the Big 12. Every team would probably fall within 15 to 65 this year because Kansas isn't terrible. Okay, and we so talk about see. all the time. All right, so let's see. Four and oh, three, and most of them are three and one. Not a, there's not a single team with a losing record right now. Mm. I would have to – Texas is definitely going to get bowl eligible. I would have to look at West Virginia's schedule. But, I, yeah, I definitely think that there's a way that they could all get bowl eligible, all 10 of them. Because for them not yeah. to, someone would have – because, like, you know, so Kansas already has four wins. They only need two more. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of the programs already have three wins. They only need three more, and there's going to be, you know, whatever. And then you have Texas, who's two and two, but they played Alabama. Um, and they lost to Texas Tech, but they'll get four. Yes, yeah, I really think it's just West Virginia. Like, you don't know if they're going to get the four. Because, obviously, playing each other, yeah. someone has to lose. But I could see – at least eight of them, eight of the ten getting bowl eligible. That's crazy, but you know what? That's terrible for getting a team to the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten had ten of fourteen last year, which is crazy. But um, yeah, I, I do. I think it's, I think it's legitimately possible because there's not a team with a losing record already, so they don't have to have like. Daddy, like you don't have there's not a single team that needs to go six and O to start conference play to get bowl eligible right now. Uh so let's see. West Virginia has Texas, Baylor. I mean they play everyone, but I don't even know why I looked at this. They just play everyone. Yeah. But yeah. let's see. Okay, so West Virginia, hmm. They get okay, so Texas Tech, TCU, Iowa State. Ooh, I don't know if West Virginia gets bowl eligible. Because I don't the Texas Baylor Texas Tech TCU Iowa State Oklahoma Kansas State and Oklahoma State. It looks daunting, right? Because every team's not bad, but you have to remember at the same time, none of those teams are definitively good. That so they is could fair. lose any Saturday. Uh, so I, I don't know if it'll happen, but right now. Uh, I think they legitimately only have one playoff eligible, like a team that you could consider a playoff contender, and that's Oklahoma State, and their defense is awful. So um, take that for what it's worth. I I don't think Oklahoma State wins in Bedlam. I don't think they get in with a one-loss champ this year, but I don't think there will be a one-loss champ either. Mm. Everyone has two. Which is what happened last year, right? They were both 10-2. and Yep, Baylor and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. State. Right? Yep, I, yeah. I could see it happening that way again. So, with different teams, same teams, it could really go any direction, and that's why we love college football. 
All right. Um, so this one's next. Who has a better chance between the ACC and the Pac-12 to make the playoff this year? Um, neither. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess one of them has to make it. Well, if the Big 12 isn't making the playoff, one of these two has to make it. I mean, I'm leaning towards. I'm leaning towards there being two SEC and two Big Ten. Because NC yeah, State that, hasn't shown me enough to think that they're only going to have one loss. Clemson's going to have a couple. Pittsburgh's going to have it. Um, and those are the team. I mean, NC State, Pitts. I mean, Florida State already has. So, I mean, so who is it? NC State, Pittsburgh, Clemson are probably the three contenders, right? Because they got rid of divisions or no? Not yet. Uh I I don't know I, I don't follow the ACC that closely. Um, okay, hold on. I'm gonna. Pull I think it they. I, I think give, they did. No, they still have them. They still have divisions this year. It's next it's year. Of, it's next year they're getting rid of them. Yeah, because they already had the schedules and everything this year. Yeah, because the, the Pac-12 was the one that just doesn't care and like. Yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah. Okay. All right. So. It's not coming out of the Coastal Division because everyone in the Coastal Division already has one loss. Most of them have two or three. Um, And the the Coastal is not good. Yeah. The only ones who don't have one loss is who who don't have two losses already is Duke, UNC, and Pittsburgh. So if Pittsburgh ran the table, maybe, but they're not going to run the table. Duke and USC are going to lose. So it's not going to be them. On the Atlantic side, they have four 4-0 teams, Clemson, Florida State, Syracuse, and NC State. Syracuse is going to lose. They're on a nice little thing, but they're going to lose a couple games. Florida State's going to lose a couple of games. So then it's between Clemson and NC State. One of them is going to be out this week. And let me look at I, I have NC State beating Clemson. So let me look at NC State's schedule. Who do they have? So NC State plays Clemson, then they play Florida State, then they play Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Boston College, Louisville, and UNC. That's a tough stretch of games. Oh. I don't think they make it through it cleanly. Because they could beat Clemson and then lose to Florida State because that's two tough games back to back. They could lose the Wake Forest because they're of the offense. They could lose the Louisville because Malik Cunningham is crazy. But, I mean, that's only one loss, though. If they only lose one game, okay, I'm going to say the ACC. I'm going to say the ACC because the ACC is easier, and I think there are too many good teams in the Pac-12. Oregon State, Wazoo. US, USC, UCLA, not UCLA, uh, USC, um, Utah are all good, and I think they're going to feast on each other. I think they are places to play be, in there. Yeah, I think they're. I think both of their champions are probably going to be ten and two too. Um, so I'm going to go ACC, but we're either going to get two SEC, two Big Ten teams, or the fourth seed is going to have two losses. Yeah, I don't think any yeah, conference I, comes out with a team that only has one loss. It really, it really depends on how it goes for Bama down the stretch. Which I, Bama, I talked about this. Uh, I don't know who I was talking with, but I was looking at their schedule. And they actually have one of the easiest roads to the playoffs this year. If they just Bama could lose to Tennessee, they, they're not going to, but they could. 
because Tennessee has yeah. an offense and Bama's defense isn't that great. And if they score 30, there's a chance that Bama's offense can't put up 30. Um, but there's the reason why I say two Big Ten, two SEC, there are two different ways for the Big Ten to get two teams. Minnesota can go undefeated which is possible, lose. lose to Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game, they get in. Michigan can go undefeated. Or Michigan and Ohio State, where I'm saying, no, I'm going to keep it that way because Ohio State's going to win that game. Michigan can go undefeated, lose in a, in a rel- less than two-score game to Ohio State, and they could get in if everyone else has two losses. So there's two different options, and they have put in a non-conference championship before and a non-conference champion who didn't go to the conference championship game because they did it with Ohio State over Penn State. And I feel like they've done it once with Alabama or Georgia or something like that, didn't make it to the conference championship game. So it's a possibility. And I think, all through, I think yeah, I think the ACC, Big 12, and the Pac-12 all have two lost champions. Yeah, especially because so the Pac-12 championship game is most likely going to be a rematch. Yeah, and with the Pac-12, I think USC exposed itself a little bit. I think teams with who are coached well are going to give them fits because any team that's coached well has given Lincoln Riley fits in the past. Um, Utah's already <laughs> lost a game, so they literally have to run the table. Washington, I like Washington a lot, but I don't know if I'm ready to commit to like buying any playoffs talking to them. And that's even if they beat UCLA this weekend. But it's just, I think Clemson, as much as we don't like them in these parts of the world, they know how to win football games. It, it sucks, but it's true. It sucks to admit, I should say. It doesn't suck for Clemson fans. It just sucks to admit that. But. Yeah, that game between Wake Forest really messed me up, honestly. I didn't realize I'd be thinking about yeah. it this much. But well, here's the thing with Clemson, Clemson knows how to win. I- they're absolutely going to lose at least two. They have NC State. They have Florida State. They have Notre Dame. They have Miami and South Carolina. It's a tough schedule. And Louisville. It's a tough schedule. And Clemson's defense has not looked as good as they have been. So Outside of their front four. Yeah. Outside of their defense line. I don't think South Carolina can beat them because – I don't either. I I think that's a lost cause. They look decent on offense. So if they actually come in, they could present a challenge. I just feel like they have some mental block. And Shane Beamer might have to win that game. Yeah, so they could easily lose three in this stretch. All right. Uh, But, yeah, I think – honestly, I mean, it's tough because I I don't think the Big 12 is going to get one. Right now, I think the Pac-12 is in a little bit better of a position to get one, but I think there's just a tougher road to get there. The issue with the ACC is all of their good teams are in the same division, so they all have to play each other. Yeah, like like the Big Ten. (laughs) Yeah, so – and they're just not as good of a conference, so you're not going to get the same leeway you get – I just think uh, we kind of already talked about one of the questions, uh, but we actually kind of talked about two. I said, does Alabama miss the playoff this year? Um, I don't personally think they lose a regular season game. What that means, how impressively they get there, like 55 to three against Vanderbilt, that does nothing for me. 2019 over Texas does nothing for me. You know, this game this week against Arkansas is their first chance to say, hey, we are serious contenders. And this is an incredibly tough stretch because Alabama goes on the road to Arkansas this week. 
then they have Texas A&M at home. We know that's going to be emotional. We saw what happened in the offseason. Then they have to travel to Knoxville to take on Tennessee. If they can make it through that stretch, I think Nick Saban could do anything in the world. He could become the Pope, honestly. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I know this is blasphemous. I think they lose one. I I think they do Texas A&M or Tennessee. And Texas A&M is not good, but somehow Jimbo does it. And I think Arkansas and Texas A&M are going to beat them up, even if they win. And Tennessee can just come in and be like, and, listen and Tennessee to this. has a bye week back in LSU. Back. So they yeah. have it much easier before the Bama game. Back-to-back road games at the end of the season, too, going to LSU, who's, you know, not great. Brian Kelly's really going to need to get a marquee win, though, so you know he's going to be throwing everything out to get one. And then you've got Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, feels like the only coach in the SEC who hasn't beaten Nick Saban. That's a former assistant. That, like... Before the season started, I was like, man, that's actually a pretty easy schedule. Now that I'm looking back at it, I'm like, this schedule got a lot tougher with Hendon Hooker being who he is, with, you know, Will Rogers at Mississippi State being on pace for like 6,000 yards passing, with Lane Kiffin having a running back for the first time in years, like a real running back, and Jackson Dart, he's been getting better each week. Uh, You know, Tulsa, Matt Barnes. Had a little something going last week, but uh, Arkansas is good. Arkansas has an athletic quarterback. Athletic quarterbacks have given Nick Saban fits in the in the past. Jimbo has a personal vendetta this year for what was said in that booster meeting. Um, so it's a it's a tough stretch, and you know we talked about it with Ohio State when there's blood in the water and you have the opportunity, you need to take it or. Next year, like you're gonna see a different Bama team. Yeah, um, I just think, yeah, I think someone can get them because they don't have any wide receivers. Uh, like, I'm, listen, I am not anti Jameer Gibbs, but he has not been what people have said he was gonna be. Yeah, their offensive line is not. Good. I mean, they have a lot of holes on this team, um, and that's just not something you're used things, to. Yeah. They, I would add, did I put it in the notes? They still have Will Anderson. They still have Bryce Young. They still have Nick Saban. So it's it's a lot. I mean, they still have – like Bryce Young is a special football player, especially at the college level. Um, and he's been doing a lot of work. And, you know, I'm waiting. Jameer Gibbs has been good, not great. Uh, their backup running back, McClellan, He's kind of they kind of split care they kind of split the it's like one a one b situation. He's been inconsistent, but he's been good at times. Uh, there's just no defining quality of this Alabama team besides hey we have two special players on each side of the ball, and that's and about it. Alabama, so people are gonna like crap the bed, and, and, and yeah. it's really a, it's really a just everything kind of going together for them because. The, Bill O'Brien is not a good offensive coordinator, and Pete Golding is not a good defensive coordinator. And I hate to say this about the greatest coach of all time, but it seems like Nick Saban has fallen into the Urban Meyer bag of just like, you know, hiring his friends and people he knows because I don't know how Pete Golding still has a job. Like, I mean, yeah, I do know how defense. he has a job. He has a job because he's they still recruit good players who make him look 
right, but he's not good. And Bill O'Brien should have never been given the keys to the offense. And the one thing that Bama always did great was have young guys, Charles Huff, Jimbo Fisher, was once young. I know it's hard to believe. He was once young. Kirby Smart, once young. Kirby Smart's actually not as old as you think. He just looks old. Um, Shane yeah. Beamer. Shane, age did I say Beamer? Uh, Shane Beamer? Is that what I said? That is not his name. Uh, uh, Shane yeah, Beamer. Uh, Shane Beamer. Like, uh, they've had these young guys who have – innovated while also playing who I also like, you know, recruiting that kind of stuff. And it's led to coaching jobs. There's not, I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe Pete Golding is young, but he's not the wonder kid that they've expected. Um, And so they made him out to be when they hired him. But yeah, I think it's a kind of a, a, a confluence. I think that's the word of a lot of factors. And at the end of the day, all of these factors means Bama can lose a game or two games, maybe, because they're still Bama. I am not calling the end of the dynasty, but I, I could see yeah. them losing one. And if it's the right combination, they could find a way to lose two. Yeah, if they lose to Tennessee and make it to the SEC championship, it's beat Georgia. Their season's done for like the first time in a long time before, you know, the bowl game. And yeah. I, I could legitimately see it happening. Georgia. Georgia's good. Georgia's a really good football team. Uh, and yes. I think they got the monkey off their back against Alabama. So I, I think there is a long way to go until the end of this season. It's just I, I, there are cracks and and there's cracks in the armor right now for them. And that's the only reason I brought it up. Um, yeah. All right. Next on the list. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we don't have to get into too many dark horse teams, but there's one dark horse team you have that no one's really talking about as a legitimate playoff contender, but you think could actually make it to the big dance. We just talked about them, but I want to look at their schedule before I say it. Before right, I say I'll go first. Boom, 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 boom. I'm going to go with Washington. That is good about uh, That's a good one, and they're actually better than the one that I was going to say now that I look at the schedule. So um, I I'm like go, Washington. What did you uh, What do you? Oh, so I was going to say Tennessee, but I okay. forgot Tennessee has to play Georgia, and they're and not getting Kentucky, in. right? Yeah, I think oh. they'll be Kentucky. They do have to but, play Kentucky, but they play Kentucky and then they play Georgia back to back. So that's bad. So that does not work. So I think I'm going to have to steal yours and go with Washington because while I, I'm no, I'm going to stay Tennessee because they are still a dark horse and dark horse means unlikely. And if they beat Georgia, they'll get in. They're not going to, but it fits the dark horse theme. So I'm going to go Tennessee. I've watched them play. I think they're a good team. I, I think, um, my favorite thing about Tennessee is that they hired a coach that they didn't expect to win just to get them through the sanctions to go get their guy. And he's been really good. And he was not great at UCF. And so people didn't think he was going to be good. But like whatever he has working down at Tennessee, uh, he has something and uh, everything in college football starts with quarterbacks. And I don't know that he's good. Because you never know who's good, but they do have Nico I. I'm not going to try to say his last name because I don't like to say people's last names wrong. They have Nico I coming in, five star guy who can just take the who can take the um, 
the mantle away from Hendon Hooker. I mean, they're doing something in Tennessee. So I'm going to go Tennessee. Uh, oh, oh my God. Tennessee goes LSU, Alabama, Tennessee Martin, which is a break, Kentucky, Georgia. That is a awful stretch. That is a that is an awful, yeah. awful stretch. Um, but if they make it through it, I'll be in the playoff. I mean, if they beat Alabama so, and lose to Georgia, there's a chance they get into the playoffs. Like if Alabama's ten and two, SEC championship. Yeah, if Alabama's ten and two and Georgia's eleven and one, they could get in. I'm liking this. I'm liking this. They just have to beat one of Alabama or Georgia. Yeah, so I, I went with Washington. I love Kalen DeBoer. I think I've been talking about Kalen DeBoer for like four years now. Yeah, he, but, was, he uh, was the last time Indiana was good. <laughs> yeah, and when he went to Fresno State, I'm like, man, Fresno State's going to be really good. Guess what? They were really good. And then he got the Washington job. Now Washington's really good. Sometimes, you know, you pick a guy, you ride with him, and it works out for you. Sometimes you are like, man, this guy's the next coming of – great coaches and then they are awful uh, but the reason I like Washington is their schedule like they don't play USC in the regular season uh, they don't play Utah in the regular season so they've oh, got wow. UCLA Arizona State Arizona Cal Oregon State Oregon Colorado and then Washington State and Washington State is they, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is not a good schedule. Kalen DeBoer has them very prepared every single week offensively. They've been – they diced up Stanford about as well as USC did. Uh, Washington uh, killed Michigan State. They give up a lot of points in, yeah. the, in the first half. But uh, – and, you know, they, they beat Kent State worse than uh, Georgia beat Kent State. Yeah. If there's anyone on the West Coast – that can avoid the West Coast plague of losing a game you shouldn't lose. As every, Utah, Oregon, USC, every team that has had a good season in the West Coast and the Pac-12 always loses a game they shouldn't. If there's anyone that can do it, I think Kalen DeBoer might be able to might be able to yeah. avoid the the curse of the Pac-12. I'm not what predicting is, it, what, but that schedule is Washington spiking. would be the first Pac-12 team since Washington. Correct. Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny of all and, the teams in the Pac-12 that Washington is the only one that's made the playoffs. And they like because Chris Peterson was a great coach. Um, mm-hmm. Then they gave it to Jimmy Lake, who might have been the most like, under. But I don't want to. I don't want to say he was underqualified, but just such an incorrect fit for the job. Uh, that he they were just one of the worst teams. He wasn't underqualified. I'm not even sure he was an indirect fit. I understand why they gave that to him. He was an idiot. He didn't know where yeah. his bread was buttered. He literally could have been the next Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley, and he immediately said, hmm, what we've done that's been very – I knew he wasn't going to work from day one because he got into that press conference and he said he was changing stuff. And I'm like, you idiot. You don't change things – you don't change when a playoff get, team with like you don't like like you don't change things. If when you get the Ferrari, you change the rims. You maybe get it painted. Sometimes you don't you even don't, do that. 
and and most times you don't do that. But like, if you want to change the rim, fine. If you want to put new speakers in there, cool. You want to put an amp in the back just to get some better sounds, that's all right. But you don't change the car. And he literally was like, we're changing it. He changed it. Washington somehow always has NFL-level cornerbacks. He stops the recruiting strategy that they're doing, and it's just like, you're an idiot. Like, Ryan Day, what did Ryan Day do? He changed the speakers. He, he got put some more rims on it. You know, he put some he put some rims on got it. Got I mean, He went he went under the hood. He went under the hood and he put some Nas in the engine. Yeah. But the car is still the car. Like that, that's still the car. Uh and yeah, so it's just like he was just dumb. Like like disrespectfully. Actually disrespectfully, because how do you almost ruin Washington? He was dumb. And he he tried yeah, he to do his really, own thing. He didn't know where his and bread he was. was lazy. Yeah, and then Kalen DeBoer came in and was like, I know where the bread is buttered. I'm going to just skill do players. And I'm going to go get oh. the quarterback oh, who the quarterback I know. Who's gonna, yeah, the quarterback is going to throw 4,000 yards for me at Indiana. Is yeah. going to come to Washington <laughs> play with me? All right. Easily. And I think he only has one year, but like, yeah, they, they have, they got that good quarterback, right? From Washington. We don't know if he's actually good, but they got that four or five star a couple years ago, right? Uh, yeah. He's in the same uh, class Hewitt, Hewitt, right? Sam Heward. He was either last class or the class before. So, so there's a I, chance that they, you know, continue, they continue after, yeah. after, after him. So, um, and, and I mean, I, Michael don't Jackson, his biggest problem was always he got injured. And they have a I, they, they really should have a better team. offensive line. So if he doesn't get injured, he's always been a good quarterback. So I did that thing they did with Tua where they flipped him and he like so I mirrored it so he'd be right handed. And I think Michael Panix Jr. is one of the better quarterbacks in college football, like potentially top ten. Now that I've seen that. <laughs> where you flipped right handed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, okay, <laughs> we already kind of talked about the two Big Ten teams. We really actually gave the whole scenario on how that would happen. Uh, the last one, this one's crazy. All right, I, I want you guys to buckle up. This is one of the craziest things in the world. Joel Platt thinks Ohio State can win a national championship. Um, I'm flabbergasted. I'm hearing applause. I'm hearing uh, the applause. This is crazy. <laughs> I, you know what? How far have we come as a program, Ohio State? I just want to take a second to applaud and to acknowledge Joel Klatt's bravery for going out on a limb. I know, I know. There's been a lot of critics, like there's a lot of people looking at him crazy for this. So I just, want, as an Ohio State fan, I just want to give him his credit for going out on a limb, uh, risking his job, really risking his reputation, by saying that Ohio State, the Ohio State, could win a national championship. You know, we do bold predictions every once in a while on this show, and I don't even think that one would have made the cut. <laughs> I mean, no, no. That was so. All jokes aside, that was one of the funniest media moments I've seen in a while. Because Joel Klatt has like a formula for his videos, where he'll say something completely non-controversial and act like it's the most profound take of all time. And hearing him like do that with Ohio State 
can win a national championship and being like waiting for the gasp of like an audience was one of the funniest things I've ever watched. Because when I saw the video pop up, I'm like, all right, that's funny. That's not real. And then I clicked on the video and I'm like, oh, so this guy's serious. Like he's really going in depth about one of the three betting favorites to win a national title this year and being like, yeah, no, they could do it. They could actually do it. Like, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they can do it. I'm saying they could actually do it. It's a bold move, man. I just like respect, uh, salute, raise your glass. Joel Clatt went out on a limb this week for us. What a, what a guy. What a guy. Man, that was so funny. That was so that was that was a belly laugh. That was too funny. And honestly, like I'm not I'm not a big hater. I think Joel Klatt is actually kind of interesting. And like I think of the four because here's the thing. It's time to be honest. Just because you're a former quarterback doesn't mean you're a good announcer. It doesn't mean you understand That's the true. game of football. I think of all of them, and I don't think any of them are great. I think of all of them, Joel Klatt has an actual decent understanding of the game of football where, like, occasionally you could learn something. Occasionally you could learn something. But, like, come on, man. Like, that's like, yeah. like his little Joel Corner thing. It's very much like you said, it's very non controversial. Um, it's safe. It's just to get Fox content out there. It's just to get Joel Klatt in front of people a little bit more so they're more familiar with him when he comes on to the game. Uh, but, yeah, it I, it won't end up on freezing cold takes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that would be a pretty rough one. I mean, like, because I don't think you could end up on freezing cold takes for, you know, a comment like that for, like, a betting favorite. It's really when you're like – yeah, there is zero way Alabama loses this football game to Tennessee and then they lose. That's a freezing cold take. Yeah. There's too uh, much that goes into it. There's a lot of like there's a lot of variables to that take. So uh it just really the energy he had with that take. It, it felt like Stephen A. Smith. You know when Stephen A. Smith gets that smirk and he's like, I'm about to drop some knowledge on the world here, and then it's like LeBron James is good at basketball and he'll say something along those lines. That was the level of take this was. But hey, you know, he really went on a limb. He gets paid Shocking. a lot of money. Shocking that one of the three best teams in the country could win a national championship. Like, win. Yeah, and that's that's our playoff talk. I, I think that's something we should add to the show. Like two minutes on just like an incredible oh band. Tua just got body slammed again, and he is he's probably not coming back from that one. He's doing the hand thing. Hmm. Uh, that's not good. Uh, but outside of Joel Klatt's remarks, I think we can start finding. Like I know it's a, it's a played bit now, but I just think it's so fun. Yeah. Um, so before we move off the playoffs, I just have to ask, put your money. We're actually going to do some bold takes here because I was talking to my friend about this game is tomorrow. So game is on Saturday. It's the playoffs. Ohio State versus Bama. Who wins? Oh, Ohio State for sure right now. OK. Game is tomorrow. Not January. Game is tomorrow. It's the playoffs. Ohio State versus Georgia. Who wins? 
I'm gonna take Ohio State. Not even as a homer. Like I've seen the offense play the last two weeks, and my lasting memory, and no offense, is George giving up 22 to Kent State. Yeah, I think, and that's the thing. Like, I genuinely think, and I, that's the thing. I'm glad you said that because it makes me feel a little bit better. I think Georgia could hold this offense to 30. But the question is, can they score 30 against us? Because yeah. I understand how good their tight Brock ends Bowers are. Is a freak. But outside but of like, that. Is Brock Bowers going to have four touchdowns? I, you might have all four, but I think that's like, about it. Yeah, so I, I I think the what I've seen from this offense, what I've seen from this offensive line, it gives me it gives me confidence that we could at least put up thirty on Georgia, and I think our defense could stop Georgia from scoring thirty because despite all the things that people are saying, I'm still not confident in their offense. It's better than people thought, and that is fine. But I'm not confident in it. And Kent State got some good stops against that offense. I will say that yeah. their offensive coordinator, who I don't know his name, I can't think of his, Actually, it's Todd Munkin, I think, has been yeah, Todd Munkin. excellent with his play Brock design. Brock Bowers getting jet sweeps is like not what I like, signed up for this season. Yeah, I mean – I don't do it against us, but against other teams, I like to see it. But the the thing with Todd Munkin that's going to be interesting. He's, he's coaching for head coaching jobs. jobs. Absolutely, um, and people think he might get the Georgia Tech one. The thing with Todd, with Todd Munkin that's going to be interesting is does he get the Ryan Day disease when he plays a a team that you know can beat him? Or, or is a challenge? Is he going to be doing jet sweeps, or is he going to you know? Is he a bully? Is he really committed to what he's been doing on offense? And if he's not, that's yeah. going to be another interesting thing. I think if the game is tomorrow and you play it 10 times, we're five and five, six and four. Either way, either way. But I think it's a very evenly matched game, honestly. At yeah. this point, Did strength on Georgia strength, could go honestly. supernova or we could go supernova. But if it's played tomorrow, I think we beat Alabama. And if it's played tomorrow, I think we beat Georgia, but I, I honestly think it could go either way. Yeah, I, I think this might be a dangerous mindset. I'm not that fearful of Alabama right now. Uh, I, I have a long way to go. I am fearful of Georgia because they are good. They're a really well-coached football team, and yeah. that's hard to do. But And that's, where and that's why I'm, I'm going to meet here. Ohio State stopped Michael Mayer. Ohio State's pretty much slowed down any good player on the opposing team so far. So I think they could slow down Brock Bowers and find out a game plan and make everybody else beat him. And that's it's the trust more in Jim Knowles and what he can bring to the table than it is anything else. Yeah, I, I agree. And th- that's also why I clarified tomorrow um, because – any like if I mean Georgia's offense could just go supernova, and it's like all right, I think they still got it. I think they're a step above in the next eight games. Ohio State's defense could take a step back, or they could go supernova, and then it's like yeah, we're we're walking through with this a national championship. Um, you can only speak on what you've seen so far, but Georgia's defense is better than Wisconsin's. But Wisconsin is going to probably end with a top ten defense, and look what we just did to them. Yeah, it's true. It really is. And I I, I think the Wisconsin game is a real test. Uh, 
Yeah. It just didn't look like I it. And I think people are going to forget that because of the final score. Yeah. But like that is, in my opinion, just how good that is more about Ohio State than it is about Wisconsin. And you can say they lost to Washington State. But I think at the end of the season, we're going to realize that Washington State is better than we thought. And they just had an excellent game plan. And we're talking about Wisconsin's defense, not their offense. Yeah. And yeah, no, I think Wisconsin's going to be a better team. I don't think you can even count them out of the Big Ten West yet. Uh, I know we're both kind of on, hey, can Brett B. Lemon get this done this weekend? Uh, but until we see it, I'm going to take Wisconsin. I think I took Wisconsin that game. I actually got to make the graphic for our picks this weekend after this. But uh, so I'll have a final answer there for you guys on Twitter tomorrow. Uh, but, if, I had to, if I had to pick today, right this second, Illinois beats Wisconsin, but Wisconsin beats Minnesota, which is just going to screw the West standings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which, you know, I would still win it, honestly. Ugh. <laughs> That's disgusting. I, I, don't, I don't even like myself for saying that. Yeah. All right. Let's get through these do's and notes real quick. Mouth. I don't I don't think anyone wants to stay with us in, in this Rutgers podcast much longer. All right. Ryan Day says Denzel Burke is good to go. Uh, that was a weak injury. Uh, I know uh, when you break a, a finger or get pins in your hands, there's like two types of pins. There's the ones that stick out, and there's the ones they leave in. Uh, he probably got his pins removed, and now he's good to go. So, Because um, that's what it seemed like everyone was saying last week. He warmed up with the club on his hand, so just – it was not an injury that was going to take him out a long, sustained period of time. I think he probably literally just had metal pins in his hands. Um, yeah. Did they like? Did they say like how he broke it, or did they confirm that he had yeah. surgery? Like, I just like what what is going on? So yeah, I, I I tried doing some sleuthing on it. No one. It's it's mostly been a podcast conversation for a lot of book I beat guys. So. I've been getting parts from different people, but I like one of the Buckeye Talk people had ran into him coming into the Woody Hayes on Wednesday, not practicing because he was coming back from the doctor. So uh, they said he didn't look like a person missing practice, like just, you know, straight up missing it. He looked like a guy who was coming somewhere and needed to tell the coaches what was up. And then they tried to play him with a club and that, is it going to work at corner? You use your hands way too much to use a club, uh, like your actual fingers. So, really, uh, I think there was one takeaway I had from this uh, quick one. Ryan Day said that, uh, who are they? J.K. Johnson and Jair Brown are the only two corners who haven't missed a practice so far. So, to me, like – not to rewrite anything, if Denzel Burke was playing banged up and got like a week off, like he might come back fresh, similar to how CJ came back last year and just start being Denzel Burke again. Listen, I'm hoping for that. I really am. All right. I really am. Next news, next news and notes here. Keon Keeley, uh, he's been around. He's been back a bunch. This is the first time I've seen anything like – like a takeaway, like a real takeaway since he's visited Ohio State. I saw 50-50 Ohio State-Alabama right now. I saw heavy lean towards Ohio State right now. I don't want to get everybody excited at the end of the show. I, I mean, you're leaving. You came with energy. Biggest news of the year, Parker Lewis eligible. Uh, you're leaving with some big energy here. 
experts, you know, he's got that visit uh, to Alabama. And I think it's a very similar conversation to JT where it's like he fits much better in Ohio State scheme. Just straight up period. He fits better in Ohio State scheme. Uh, He does not have the Will Anderson type of build. He is a true defensive end. And where else do you want to go unless you want to be a true defensive end? Yeah, I feel like this is the same exact thing we said about JT to a Malawi. Well, JT. Yes. Yeah. Because we have been an advocate all summer that you need to stop calling him JTT because he said that in the spring. I respect the, if we're going to talk about it. I respect the reporter for asking again, but he literally said it in the spring. And we, at least me and you, ever since have not been calling him JTT. So JT or Jalen to a Malawi, I'm pretty sure we said the same exact thing about him. It's like Bama has its they get its guy they get its guys in the in the league for sure. They're good, but they don't play a traditional defensive uh, end. And if you are a traditional defensive end. There's no better place to go than Ohio State. If you're an outside linebacker, there's no better place to go than Georgia or Alabama. But if you are a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end, you should be at Ohio State. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. So I think if he's smart and wants the best thing for his football future, uh, it's – the place that'll prepare him for the position he should be playing. And I get it. Like, you know, it's hard to say no to Nick Saban. That's for sure. But just from a football standpoint, completely outside, not Homer, not uh, biased here. He should end up here. He's got to visit to Alabama for Texas A&M. Hopefully Jimbo can help us win a recruiting battle. Um, Yeah. Next up. Next on the list, we got Ohio Stadium is officially a historic landmark. I actually heard this on the radio this morning and was kind of shocked, but it has official landmark status through, like, the U.S. government. So that means any future alterations have to go through, like, a long, sustained approval process. What's makes sense? It's a yeah. hundred years. I mean, like, listen – I'm very much not an old thing people person, but it is an absolute fact that they built things better. That stadium standing a hundred years. I think we talked about this. No, no, no. Me and Dante talked about it when I was talking about how I'm going to LSU next weekend, um, and I'm Death going Valley. to Death Valley. And I was like, Death Valley is one of the like I have. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show. I'll be quick. I there's a, I have a list of stadiums I want to go to. I want to go to every stadium in the Big Ten, and then there's a list of other certain particular other stadiums not in the Big Ten. Um, and Death Valley is one of them. And he was like, Oh, I'm also going to a Saints game. And he was like, Oh, you don't want to go to the Superdome? I was like, No, there's like no NFL stadiums on my list because they all suck they're all the same same they they all feel like hospitals the why i'm saying this is they built cars better and they built stadiums better 50 to 100 years ago and i also think it's crazy that northwestern is getting rid of their stadium now because these stadiums are historic landmarks like ohio stadium has been here 100 years it's going to be here forever like it's literally going to stand the test of time um it could be here for 200 years if they take care of it right so I think that's dope that it's a landmark. I think it should be. Um, I think maybe they probably recognized it was going to be a couple years ago and was like, let's wait to the 100th because that is not a, a fast process. Um, so happy it happened in 100 years. But that's, I mean, it's dope. It's cool. Yeah, it, it really was. It was interesting for sure. Uh, so 
that's uh that's that that's big news uh last one uh this one to close out back to rutgers uh you've had a break we're back to the game rutgers coach greg shiano said they're not coming to keep the game close they're coming in to win respect the confidence that's That's all i'll say love it i have a quick news and note uh, wait, can I say one thing about this young yeah, thing? Of course. I, I'm tired of people making fun of coaches for saying stuff like this. I know we kind of like shrugged it off, but like, what else is a coach supposed to say? Literally. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean, you say this going in and then you, you, you do the Shane Beamer afterwards and say they have four and five stars everywhere. What did you expect? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What's your, uh, what's your news and notes? My news and notes. Is that Penn State and I believe Nebraska both approved alcohol for the first time? Actually, that's that's that is true and not true. Penn State approved it for all of their sports, including football. Nebraska is doing a two-year pilot with basketball because their basketball, I think, is some other stadium, like a concert venue and stuff. So they already have a liquor license and sells alcohol. And if it goes well, they're going to sell alcohol at the football stadium. And Ooh, the only really reason good. I'm bringing that up. Not liquor, beer. Sorry. Oh, I say yeah, I, I don't say. drink. I don't drink beer, so I always say liquor. That is not. I'm pretty sure it's what everyone sells, like beer, Mike's Hard, Truly's, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Um, the whole list. Yeah, I just don't drink beer, so like anytime I think of alcohol, I say liquor, and I got to remember that there's a separation. The reason why I bring this up yeah, is I did up not. Second, I <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I did not know this, but. At least half, maybe less now with Penn State and stuff, but at least half of the Big Ten doesn't sell alcohol at their sporting events. This is why the South yeah. laughs at us. Like this is why it's not. It's an and the fact that Northwestern and Iowa and them all fire their coast. But this is why you can't buy alcohol at the games. What are you talking about? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Why are you at the game? Why would you come to the game and not be at home if you can't buy alcohol for like twenty dollars? Yeah. Yeah, and so at the Ohio State games, like they they did start selling beer at my time there, which was nice, you know, because it get it let you keep the it let you keep it going, you know, keep the party going a little bit at least till like the end of the third quarter. You, know, you get three tall boys and you're good usually because the game moves a little faster. And it when it's cold, it gets a little hard to start putting down the cold stuff. But at the basketball game at at uh the Schottenstein Center on one of the and and towards the baskets there's like a quick walk up the stairs and it's all craft beer so every tv timeout i there was one game i went to ten dollar ticket student ticket and i probably spent 35 beer dollars on craft beer that night just walking up the stairs at tv timeouts would you get two of them yeah double fist bring it back down (laughs) wasn't expensive it was an incredible basketball game i don't even remember who they played yeah, I, I will. There's probably a reason you don't remember. I will say this because I'm not from Columbus. You're not either, but you spent college time here. Columbus venues are excellent. Um, yeah, very nice. Like I'm very like I shouldn't be surprised because it's a big city. But Cleveland is also technically a big big city, and their venues all suck. Columbus venues are excellent. I went to UFC at Nationwide, and they had a very first of all they they had actual liquor. At Nationwide. Nationwide like, goes crazy. They had, like, I got a Jack and Coke there. I don't know. I, there's not many places that you can get liquor. But also, they had Mike's Hard. And as someone who doesn't drink beer, 
but also refuses to buy like a truly and things like that. I was very happy that they had another option that wasn't yeah. Bud Light and Truly. They had Mike's Hard, yeah, even if they didn't have truly, the real yeah. liquor. I was, and it's like I hope more people get this because there's a mil- like there's simply Mike's Hard and all these other things now. But it was just like wow, they had actual options. And then after I bought like two big ass Mike's Hard, I was like, and you have liquor. It's like come on, so yeah. venues, excellent. The South makes fun of the Big Keep Ten it. because half of their venues don't sell alcohol, and that just makes no sense. Because of academics, come on. Half ah. the people who go to those games aren't even in school. <laughs> Literally. And do you know what the students are doing before the game? Yeah, we're really worried about that. Come on. Uh, last thing, predictions for the matchup. Uh, final score. Uh, one bold prediction. I gave mine earlier. I'm not taking another one. Final score prediction for me, I've got 62 to 10. Uh, my one bold prediction, Stroud has 400 yards and five touchdowns in the first half. All right. You said how much? 405. No, sorry, your score? Oh, 62 to 10. Hmm. 62 to 10. 62 to 10. Ah, man, that's almost a perfect score. score. That's almost a perfect score because that's 56 Two field goals. Two two, I'm going with it. I'm sorry. I want to be different. I'm going to be different, but they're not going to score. They're not actually. No, no. I'm going to go 69 to 10. But they do score in the fourth quarter because Dallin Hayden or TC Caffrey can't help themselves. All right. I respect it. I respect they're gonna it. do it again. They're going to do it again. I'm going to go 69 to 10. Uh, my one bold prediction is Caden Curry gets his first sack as a Buckeye. All right, I'd love to see it. Uh, that's it for me. Follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. You can follow the show at Buck Off Pod. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed if you're new here. Uh, and then Jordan, where can we find you at? You can find me at Jordan W three three zero. And make sure you guys enjoy this game because we got a long stretch coming soon. So uh, go Bucks! We'll see you guys next week.